The Calgary Stampede is officially underway and has once again taken over the city. Later this month, Edmonton's K-Days will be a cause for celebration. And while these annual events and similar festivities in other municipalities throughout the province can be a huge draw and a great time for many to let loose and party, for others, it's a time to try to escape the crowds and all the hoopla. Their summer ritual can often mean heading off to the cabin. I'm Wayne Nelson, and on today's Talk to the Experts show, we're going to be talking about estate planning as it relates to the family cabin, or even the family farm or business, the strategies that can be used for these kinds of assets. We'll also address high interest rates and inflation. My guests today are Sherry McMillan, head of McMillan Estate Planning, and Paul Lindsay, head of planning at McMillan Estate Planning. Sherry and Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Wayne. Good morning, Wayne. Thank you. Well, before we get started, I want to let our listeners know that the McMillan team will be hosting a virtual webinar coming up Wednesday, July 19th at 6.30 p.m. to talk with you about estate or life planning. To register, you'll need to call McMillan Estate Planning at 1-833-266-6464 or go online to mcmillanestate.com. All right, Paul and Sherry, uh, at this time of year, whether it's a stampede get-out-of-town option or simply that summer ritual, or many of us just head off to spend time at the cabin. Now, as much as we want to focus on the enjoyment aspect of that, um, what are some of the issues that we should be looking at from the perspective of estate planning as it comes to the family cabin or cottage? Wayne, as you as you quite rightly say, when we're talking about the, the family cabin, there's always that enjoyment factor, isn't there? It's where we go to make memories with our with our family with our you know our, our children grandchildren and so forth but what we find from a planning perspective is that there are some other bits and pieces to this and specifically that the families we work with they they see their cabin as what we call a legacy asset they want to ensure that it can pass from one generation to the next so that we are we're able to to ensure that cabin is capable of being enjoyed by multiple generations of the family. All right. So if that's the goal, as it is, I would presume, for many families, to keep the cabin in that family for generations to come, what sorts of strategies do you recommend as the most suitable way to achieve that goal? Well, a really common strategy is the use of what is called a family trust. Now, essentially, that trust allows us to own the asset, the cabin, outside of our personal name. Now, the trust in question is something that we create in our lifetime. And these, these trusts, they provide a number of, number of different benefits. We can protect that cabin from any third-party claims. So if we or perhaps one of our, our children or grandchildren were to find ourselves going through maybe some matrimonial proceedings or some, some third-party litigation... If we have the cabin held inside the trust, we're able to protect it. We're able to keep it off the table uh, from the perspective of, of, of any such claims. Now, beyond that, we can also use the trust as a means of, of setting some, some rules, some guidelines for how that cabin should be used, how it should be managed um, over time. So things like looking after the property taxes, who gets to use the cabin at a certain time of year, I, I would presume, uh, Sherry and and maintenance of the cabin. Yeah, traditionally when we're speaking about family trust, Paul and I recommend that we utilize the trust as a mechanism of business opportunity. So just as you would plan any asset in a business, how it's utilized, how it's maintained, we do that in family dynamics because one of the driving forces, of course, in a legacy asset is to make sure that there's harmony preserved amongst the children. And children are influenced by their spouses. So 
you know, what one family's definition of clean is may be very different when they leave that cottage in comparison. So we use the trust as a mechanism of business, sort of like a timeshare or a, a blueprint of guidelines on how the property will be cared for and who will pay for those uh, particular maintenances and how it will be operated. So, for example, sometimes we actually build a trust like a timeshare where, you know, one year you may get July as a family unit and then the next year you may get August because we want to alternate the fairness of that particular property. So that's the beautiful part about a trust is it serves so many purposes. It's not only a a, sh- a shelter for the asset to protect it from our family dynamics like divorce, but more importantly, it gives us a guideline on how to operate that and keep the harmony in the family because legacy assets can cause disharmony um, when we don't have agreement. And the people that have the authority to put those types of guidelines and principles in place are the parent group. If you leave it to the children to try and sort it amongst themselves, then again, they're going to be influenced by their partners and then everybody has an opinion, of course. And so the bigger your family is, the more difficult it becomes. So we always recommend to our parents, look, let's have you build the guidelines. And thankfully, Paul has built enough of these guidelines and precedents over time that we can share families uh, different possibilities of how it can function operably because it really is a business at the end. It is a, a particular asset like a family cottage is going to be used by many uh, people in the group, whether it be children and grandchildren, and you raised as a, a good, business. You raised a good point, uh, divorce. So that cabin, I, I presume that the parents or whoever owns the cabin currently would put into the trust certain rules regarding perhaps the, the future divorces of their kids and where the cabin stays. Yeah, I mean, what I would say to that, Wayne, is that by its very definition, that trust creates separation between an individual and the the actual asset, in this case, the cabin itself. So if there is a divorce, because the the individual, perhaps it's a son, daughter, grandchild, etc., if they don't own the cabin in their personal name, well, it's, it's of no relevance really to something like a divorce. The trust is there sitting separate and distinct, holding the asset. So if the decision is made then to place the cabin within a trust, what other particular considerations are there? Well, there, there are a few, actually, Wayne. And the first one is this, and um, some people see this as a, as, as a negative, but I think in the round it's a really, you know, rather um, a modest consideration. And that is when you create a trust, you're, you're creating another taxpayer. So in the same way that perhaps if you have a corporation, come tax time, you're filing a return for your company as well as for your, uh, your, your individual estate, it's the same thing with a trust. So your, your accountant might be quite happy because it's another return to file and maybe it's another few hundred dollars a year. Now, that might not be uh, the greatest news, but all told, if you consider the amount of protection that we get from a trust, we shouldn't really be too, too concerned about that. So who pays that tax then, Paul? Uh, well, strictly speaking, I mean, it can be paid by the trust if there are assets in there. All right. Um, but don't forget, as I said, this isn't necessarily a liability we're talking about, Wayne. This is just, you know, just the cost of having that, that tax return prepared. And I'm presuming, Sherry, that a lot depends on where that cabin is located. It would be a different situation if it's located here in Alberta, B.C., Saskatchewan, Ontario, because jurisdictions differ. It certainly does, because every jurisdiction does have a different tax table. And one of the interesting things I think that we 
want to remember is although there is a, a cost to operate a trust each calendar year by the fact that we have to file a tax return, there's also tax savings that occur. Because if you think about it, and this happens a lot with family cottage because they're often ideal properties. They're on lakes. Um, you know, the, the views are amazing. And the appreciation that happens in these types of assets can be phenomenal. A lot of our clients that are very affluent, their cottage is worth more than their primary home. That's a very common situation we run across. So one of the interesting things is that particular asset, by shifting it into a trust, it no longer is part of your estate, as Paul mentioned. So it means it's an asset not growing from a tax standpoint in your estate. And so when you pass on, whatever value we transferred the cottage at into the trust is the amount of tax we owe. So let's say you transfer a cottage and it's worth a million dollars into a trust. And then when you pass on, it's appreciated to be worth $2 million. This is very common. I have properties in Sylvan Lake like that and so forth. We don't have to actually pay the income tax on that additional million dollars of growth, which can mean the difference between keeping the property in the family or losing it to income tax. All right. We're going to have to pause for a break right now. We'll continue this discussion when we come back. Just a reminder, the McMillan team will be hosting a virtual webinar on Wednesday, July 19th at 6.30 p.m. To talk with you about these kinds of issues, estate or life planning, you will need to register ahead of time, though, so contact McMillan Estate Planning. The number is 1-833-266-6464 during weekday office hours, or visit their website for more information at mcmillanestate.com. Sherry McMillan and Paul Lindsay are my guests today. We'll be back with more on Talk to the Experts.